Hello everyone, my name is David McGovern and I'm the host of A Little Light Listening, a podcast where we cover the latest developments in science and technology that is based upon the use of light. This regular podcast will feature experts from Ireland and around the world and we will be exploring lots of areas including how light is used in medicine, space, communication and right here on Earth for dealing with the effects of climate change. Each week we'll be reaching out to our community in advance of the podcast to get questions and comments which we will put to the guests during the show. I work in the Irish Photonic Integration Centre, which is the Science Foundation Ireland Centre for Photonics, where we conduct world-leading research in the science and application of light. Our national team of leading researchers work with other national research centres and companies from around the globe, and it is with their help I will bring you some of the latest developments in this exciting area of research. This week, I am joined by Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. Alfredo is an astrophysicist and science communicator. He works as a journalist for IFL Science, and he runs a podcast called The Astroholic Explains, where he answers questions about the universe. The title of our podcast today is Shining a Light on Space, where we will discuss how light has enabled us to communicate and display images to each other across continents, locate yourself to within a few meters anywhere on Earth, and to look back in time and see images across the depths of space, including black holes, which were imaged for the first time in 2019. So welcome, Alfredo. How are you getting on? Thank you very much for having me. I'm very well. We are delighted to have you here today and I've listened to a number of your podcasts and looked at a lot of your articles. So very interesting work that you're doing. So we're delighted to have you on. I'm very lucky that our listeners are going to get to hear your views on space and, and everything else we get to discuss. Um, so delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Um, so could you give a little bit of background about yourself and how did you first get interested in science and space and technology? Yes, uh, so um, my background is uh, mostly physics. I My first love was astronomy, uh, so I did that as a bachelor. And then uh, uh, moving to uh, London, I thought I would uh, give a go into a little bit wider physics and uh, study theoretical physics. And then I realized that uh, my first love was the right love <laughs> and I went back into astrophysics. Uh, where I um, eventually uh, did my PhD and uh, uh, worked on galaxy evolution, in particular how galaxy mergers, the collisions between two galaxies, uh, shape uh, the evolution of uh, galaxy over, over cosmic time. And my interest in science uh, come from when I was l very little, um, in uh, quite a roundabout way because uh, when i was very little i wanted to be a medical doctor okay then uh one of my aunties probably not realizing that it was uh, not exactly my reading level uh, she bought me jurassic park the book uh, <laughs> just uh, uh, i'd I was seven, and I had been reading for two years, but uh, she was just like, oh, something that seems science-y, uh, here you go. And I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely adored it. So that was the moment that it was dinosaurs for me. And uh, two years later, I came to the UK and visited the Natural History Museum uh, here in London. And uh, um, I just got even more obsessed with the dinosaurs, but also saw a word in the display because at the time we didn't know how the dinosaurs had died. Um, that I had no knowledge of that word. And my, uh, my dad and my mom uh, were much help, fortunately, <laughs> uh, and the word was supernova. 
Okay. That was one of the way that uh, um, they thought that the dinosaurs might have gone extinct then also all the other species that went extinct with the dinosaurs. Uh, and so I went back home and looked it up, and then I asked for an astronomy book to know more, and that, uh, well, that snowballed uh, from uh, being interested uh, a little bit in astronomy at 10 to become a professional <laughs> astronomer. And uh, while I was doing my PhD, I realized that I adore talking about science. And uh, so my career brought me further away from research than uh, sometimes I fancy, but I get to talk about science every day, all day long, and it is fantastic. Well, that's brilliant. Um, I think that's a great way for people to understand how, you know, you can start off with a, a thing you're really interested in when you're young and actually follow it all the way up through a career. I think it's very lucky that we get to do that. And I think a lot of people uh, in science, I think one of the things you speak to them, that's what they say. One of the best things about going to work and being a scientist or a science communicator is that you actually get to do something you really, really like and have always wanted to do. Yeah, I... No, and I feel extremely privileged to have been able to uh, follow my passion and uh, achieve what I have achieved. That's fantastic. Um, well, we're a light research center. So what we do, we mm -hmm. study photonics and we, we, we study uh, all sorts of aspects of that. Um, and why, so from our perspective, we, we work with a lot of it, you know, in lab-based technologies, but space all technologies in space essentially are, are now becoming connected and, and based on the theories of light. So why is light so important to space um, science and space exploration? Well, light is uh, the crucial thing for astronomy. Uh, if we just consider, well, if we consider astronomy as the oldest science uh, uh, for the last uh, 50,000 years, uh, we have used light uh, uh, to understand uh, the universe. Uh, for the last uh, um, 200 and so, we have uh, started realizing that there's more than visible light to study the universe. Uh, infrared first, then uh, uh, ultraviolet, uh, and then X-rays and gamma rays and radio waves. Uh, and now we know that we have other ways to study the universe with uh, and neutrinos, which are fundamental particles, and gravitational waves. So now we are in a multi-messenger astronomy, a complete new epoch of astronomy. But uh, um, light is still the crucial bit, uh, um, because that's what uh, we're used to, what we know how to connect. Uh, we use radio waves uh, and microwaves to communicate with uh, our satellites uh, or to communicate uh, with uh, our devices. We use fiber optics uh, and light going through the fi uh, fiber optics to, um, again, communicate high-speed internet, but also to, um, to actually get the light uh, of distant galaxies in the right uh, uh, detector to measure uh, those galaxies with the highest precision. So... Astronomy is light uh, uh, for as much as we are pushing beyond. Uh, we cannot uh, 
we cannot be completely free of light and why would we want I, to I, I find it uh yeah when you see those images that you you know that the images that we see there but publicly made of course the amount of effort that goes into using all as you say all the different frequencies of light that are in it and i know it's important to make it visual but there's a as you say the huge amount of science that goes in even behind those really public facing images there's tons of science that goes into understanding how those colors are real how they how they travel through space how they haven't been warped by the lenses or or by our own atmosphere so it's fascinating the amount of work that goes on in behind all of that um and i think people love science shows uh, space shows and really really do um but i think sometimes they they it's hard to appreciate how much in of our daily lives is regulated by light and also just space technology in general not just things that you might think about like a satellite phone but there's an awful lot of technologies that are affecting everything we do on earth so could you give some examples to the listeners here of things that are based on science technology space technology that is something that you use everyday life absolutely i um i always remember uh it's uh Something that has always been discussed in my family on the how much money it costs uh, to send stuff into space, and it is very expensive. But uh, I did always, uh, I give like uh, my late grandpa, that uh, it's money that is spent on Earth. It's not like we're sending uh, <laughs> suitcases <laughs> of cash uh, into space. Um, and more and more, our lives depend on uh, satellite communication. Uh, from uh, the GPS in your maps, uh, and you might not be using a map every day, but uh, you might be using um, things that are dependent on maps from uh, the weather, which is another thing that we'll discuss in just a second, to uh, your social media um, your social media apps. Um, so GPS technology is uh, absolutely dependent on uh, not just uh, uh, having a lot of satellite in space, but uh, the most advanced physics, because the only way that GPS are that accurate is to um, use uh, um, Einstein general relativity. Okay. Otherwise, they would lose a uh, fraction of a second, but that would be enough uh, to send you uh, off in the wrong direction, which is not great. Uh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe if you're driving the car, you are more. Uh, you're not gonna like go off uh, a bridge if the <laughs> if the little machine tells you. But for things like planes and ship at sea, that is fundamental. Uh, I mentioned weather. Obviously, weather forecasts have been crucial, and um, is not just looking at Earth from space, but also is sharing the measurement from uh, both land or sea base um, detectors uh, with the people around the world that can interpret those, but also measuring temperature and um, the humidity from space. We can do amazing things. Obviously, we have um, communication. It is, uh, after all, satellites are all, uh, often say that they are for the telecommunication. We have television. We have <laughs> internet. We have everything goes through space and even if you're like no you know what i do not watch tv i don't care for the weather because i'm always at home so i don't even use maps maybe use banking and banking apps require uh satellite communication to oh move uh, uh, your money around so it it would be very difficult for you to spend a day not 
using space. Okay. Wow. There you go. Um, I, I, I find that the fact that the, the day-to-day in the, the location data for, uh, for planes in particular, it's, it's, it's so amazing that that has developed alongside the industry and has become more and more technologically advanced. And I think one of those new technologies coming is the, is the low space orbit satellites for communication. And um, our understanding from speaking to other guests previously has been that um, the use of these is going to be very fundamental for people being able to have communication all around the world without um, the need for maybe fiber optic cables. So um, how do you see that sort of activity working, the, the low level um, the low level satellites and how that's going to advance communication in countries that are developing, countries in particular maybe don't have the infrastructure in place for the existing internet? I uh, think that is very complicated uh, in the sense uh, that uh, while the idea is uh, noble, of uh, bringing uh, uh, communication uh, to everyone on the planet. And I do believe that uh, the internet uh, uh, continues to have the potential to be a great equalizer and uh, a great democratic tool. Um, those Most of those satellites are just owned by private company, uh, giving uh, that high-speed uh, uh, satellite internet uh, to the richest uh, already privileged uh, people uh, in uh, the West. So having private company dictating who and when uh, can get uh, internet uh, feel that is uh, against what the internet should be. Um, the other problem is that uh, without regulation, because uh, there's no international regulation for uh, sending stuff in space, there are treaties that uh, guarantee very vaguely uh, what you should or shouldn't put in space. But uh, um, Musk Starlink is just regulated by the US. Okay. And uh, uh, there's um, one of the problem that's uh, seen for the first, uh, I think, 600 or so uh, launches, uh, 600 or so no launches, satellites have been launched, uh, is being that they were too bright. And it started affecting uh, uh, astronomical observation. And Musk wants to have 40,000 satellites. Uh, and Jeff Bezos uh, wants to have uh, probably not as many, but uh, another big chunk. Uh, the British government uh, bought uh, a serial satellite called OneWeb, and they want to do the uh, same, a mega constellation that now has been stopped due to. Uh, the invasion of Ukraine because uh, Russia, they were supposed to be launched from Russia. And uh, the European Space Agency also want to have uh, its own mega constellation. And it's just like uh, you have all these tens of thousands of uh, satellites uh, in space for communication. Wouldn't it be easier if we had uh, one mega constellation that is uh, well regulated? everyone can access that well i mean so state funding the importance in a state funding to remain um things like the uh, space agencies and mm -hmm. national is obviously very vital um and when i was looking actually up in in, in this podcast before i looked at um at, at the Venice spending italy has and italy italy is a massive contribution towards the ESA budget now ireland obviously proportionately were very impactful things like the james webb 
um, elements of Irish technologies are there. But I was I was really fascinated that, that Italy is one of the biggest contributing members to ESA. And in Italy, was this something when you grew up, was this something that would have been known, the amount of activity that happens um, in Italy in, in space? Yes. Uh, one of the things that I always remember was uh, how for as much uh, and uh, think everyone uh, in every country can complain about uh, their own but i really feel that uh, italy could do so much more to foster its research uh, is uh, um its entire uh, academic sector um there's so much more to be done uh, because we definitely have the talent, we definitely have the passion, uh, we just need the funding. Um, but when it came to space, uh, um, especially in the 90s, uh, with Italy uh, collaborating in the Cassini-Eugen mission uh, to go to Saturn, that was something that uh, it was constantly discussed. That was oh, wow. a NASA, ESA, and Italian Space Agency, oh, ASI. Wow. Um, uh, mission and I remember that one of the things they ask uh, um, kids uh, was to send their signature to be put on the Eugen's lander which unfortunately didn't land it sank in the, one of the methane lake of Titan well, it's still it there it's still it's, there it's still, there. It's still <laughs> serve in a big lake of hydrocarbons uh, and there's my signature in there oh and fantastic I, Fantastic. Yeah, it was serious in the theater back in the 90s. I had to fax my signature. Oh, wow. Wow. But there was such a love and such a, such a profound excitement uh, about, uh, the, um, about our role in shaping, shape, uh, shaping space. Sorry. And... Um, my nephew is six and I've been trying to is uh, very much into animal and dinosaurs but I'm trying to push him towards space a little bit and this month I uh, sorry last month uh, um, because it was international uh, women's month they did an entire month about uh, great women in science specifically space and obviously they had Samantha Cristoforetti um, the Italian uh, astronaut who's going to go to back to the uh, ISS soon and the amount of uh, and when the ESA had uh, the application for from astronauts uh, last year you can see the statistics just how many people from Italy including me applied uh, to be an astronaut oh, wow okay wow we passed um, astronaut. That's and this thing and it's it's because we have fostered since uh, the 90s uh, the, the idea that uh, yeah this is that is possible. There are other from your countries that are going there, uh, and there is interest. Uh, um, I think, yeah, the reason why there is so much funding is because we do realize that this is a place that is worthwhile investing. Isn't that fascinating that it, it you know, when people put money in, it, this is where one of the biggest impacts of research funding or maybe a strategy, the fact that people are still interested in Italy, in in space travel, and 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 in terms of applying to be an astronaut, putting your name on satellites, all because of investment in the national funding 
um, essentially in space and having having a, a leader like that uh, um, astronaut going to space that that inspires people to to be interested for years and years and years so the money you're spending and we're talking about national funding here money that's spent on these um on these on these programs um, rewards multiple times of what goes in because it's very difficult to measure that but it, it's really really important you see it's it's very difficult to argue that with politicians because they think uh, until their next election but uh, talking to people they see the value because they're looking at the the rest of their life or the next 30 years of their country and say I'm sure that uh, probably back in the 90s people thought, oh, why do we need to spend this money for the Cassini-Eugen mission? And then Cassini was around Saturn for almost 14 years. Uh, it gave us uh, the best understanding of the Lord of the Rings in, uh, <laughs> in uh, such a detailed way we understand it's free, it's moon. So we think that one of his icy moon Enceladus might have, that we are certain that it has geothermal activity and complex chemistry so much that it's now a possible place for life outside of Earth to be. And in, even Titan, um, where Huygens uh, uh, landed and sunk, it's a world that is the only other place in the solar system that has uh, liquids flowing on its surface as rain and lakes and seas and uh, uh, rivers but they're not it's so cold that they're not made of water they're made of hydrocarbons okay. and it is a fascinating world some politician might have thought oh we might see something brilliant but uh, and this is what we need to keep bringing as an example is like you invested that uh, 20 years ago, yeah. probably even 30 years ago, they start thinking. Or Hubble, Hubble started, people start thinking about Hubble in uh, in the 70s to work for a decade or so. It's been working for 32 years. Um, some of the Mars rover, uh, like uh, um, Opportunity, and uh, um, Opportunity, sorry, and they worked for years and they were supposed to work for 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. This is stuff that you are making an investment. Um, Ingenuity, the little uh, Mars helicopter, was supposed to fly five times. It's now on its past its 24th fly. Oh, wow. It's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that exactly what you're saying. The dividends that are paid out so many years later for something that investing in and can inspire the next generation of scientists and they can discover things that they never thought they would discover. And that's, I suppose, the whole point of this, the whole point of science and the whole point of investment. Yeah. So Hubble uh, now is going to have its successor, the JWST in space, so that is going to be better and look further. And yet Hubble just last week has uh, uh, snapped the image of the furthest single star ever seen. Uh, 32 years of age. A telescope that we literally has been almost falling apart because it's not been... Um, refurbished since 2009 and it's sitting in a, yeah. a, a rough, and yet it continues yeah it continues to deliver incredible science i remember uh an american politician that was complaining about uh scientists studying uh, um mosquitoes uh, and worms uh, and that research uh, then the same year won the nobel prize because <laughs> it's fundamental to uh are a lot of neurodegenerative diseases and just like 
there is no avenue of discovery in any aspect of human life from the science to arts is ever wasted. But uh, and what, what I find, for, for obviously from, from my background being in, uh, in photonics, what I find amazing about Hubble is the fact that this photonics technology has been sitting up there for um, in a harsh environment, delivering beautiful images and showing the benefits of understanding light and space and understanding optics and how to transmit that data down to Earth. And, you know, there's equipment that would be based in, in maybe lab-based environments that wouldn't survive and <laughs> that long without maintenance. So I think it's supposed to show you how, how much brilliant um, photonics engineering has gone in there. And and actually, you mentioned the, the James Webb um, telescope, and that, that cost tens of billions um, to make. Um, and it, it's, it's a really, you know, detailed and a strongly photonics-based technology and as an Irish company, as an Irish company that um, has spectroscopy application a part of that and also some of the footage you've seen from it is amazing. Um, why is the James Webb um, uh, telescope, why, why is that important in, in, in terms of photonics and also just in terms of space exploration? It will revolutionize uh, our understanding of the universe. I think uh, I can say that confidently simply because we have seen what Hubble was able to achieve. And uh, the Jedi will see will look further in more detail and really push the envelope of uh, all the areas that we do not know okay. yet or we do not know enough yet uh, um, of the universe. From uh, detailed studies of exoplanets to looking um, at our own background and studying um, the gas giants, um, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, Neptune uh, in infrared light, uh, um, looking at uh, the first galaxies in the universe, looking at the first stars. Uh, and it is a marvel of uh, engineering as you mentioned the photonics are so important and yes it costs a lot so. but it's not money as i said that we put on a suitcase and throw <laughs> into the depth of space is money that served to test uh, the finest instrument uh, that humanity has uh, ever put in space uh, uh, instrument that is over a million uh, uh, kilometers away from Earth, so we cannot go and fix. It needed to be perfect from the get go, okay. and it included uh, uh, over a thousand steps and moving parts uh, that needed to work perfectly. Okay, and this is going to be up there for years. And as you say, it has to be so engineered and so so much safety and and and, and redundancy in there, so if it doesn't it doesn't ever go wrong. What what do you think yourself um, is going to be some of the future? discoveries um, using the photonics there within James Webb's uh, uh, telescope. What do you think is going to be one, some of the biggest discoveries that we might have over the next, let's say, 10 years once it gets uh, operating? I think, uh, uh, and uh, it is my field, so I am uh, maybe partisan, I think it's going to be about uh, uh, the first galaxies and uh, um, the first stars. Um, I think that is going to be uh, the crucial, the, the exciting uh, one. Um, I am sure that it'll also um, do a lot of interesting stuff with exoplanets. Yeah. But uh, as always, I'm also very excited about 
what we don't expect. So we have built uh, this instrument to look and find the first stars and first galaxy, to study the atmosphere of exoplanets in um, details, to just look at the universe in a completely new way. Okay, well, I, I, what yeah. can what else it might be there? It, there are so much things that we use that we had no idea when we built Hubble that were going to be there. I I've had people ask me so before um, we came here, we ask we ask our community what what do they want to know, and um, they have asked, um, do you think? Uh, some people asked, do you think we will see uh, any evidence, either photonics or maybe other. Uh, other sort of sources because you, obviously from traveling that distance it has to be something like light or or another uh, uh, wave um, they asked do you think there's the evidence of, of life in, in other universes is that a realistic thing that might be discovered I would like to say yes I am a firm believer that uh, the universe must be teeming with life the question is is how likely is life is like us able to communicate and how likely is life going to be some little critters in a chill <laughs> primordial soup in a tropical planet just having a nice time and not worrying about, uh, I don't know, uh, the modern worlds uh, having to earn a, a wage or something. So, it's very much, uh, I think, life must be common simply because it's just, uh, it seems just too weird that it's just us. Oh, yeah. um, the um, JWSC will be able to study the atmosphere of exoplanets, so it might find uh, um, signature that are quite, uh, at least maybe not proving, but maybe like, ooh, this is quite interesting. Like if you start seeing a lot of oxygen, even if you start looking at something that looks a little bit like atmosphere, our atmosphere, you would be like, we might not tell that there is uh, life, but uh, we can see something. And maybe we'll get good enough to see variation carbon dioxide okay. on, oh, our plan, okay. on, a, on our planet. We can see variation of carbon dioxide. Well, we're increasing a lot of the amount of carbon dioxide, but over the season, it changes the amount of carbon dioxide because of uh, plants. Maybe you can see that. Okay. It, it, it very much depends on spotting the right planet at the right distance uh, with the right chemistry. The other, if we're talking about it's a technosignature, so those are biosignature things that uh, are just produced naturally uh, by life. And you can guess uh, from um, single cell uh, organism to us, uh, something that produced like that. Uh, Technosignature, you need an intelligent civilization. And those are a lot more complicated, even assuming that uh, alien life are very common, okay. it is difficult to send uh, signals and require a lot of energy. Um, just to consider how difficult uh, is for us to communicate with our um, with our probes, for example, uh, New Horizon, uh, um, the um, spacecraft uh, uh, by NASA that uh, went uh, to uh, Pluto and then to the Cooper Belt object Arrokoth, uh, took the, the image and the data of uh, uh, Arrokoth took 
over 18, I think 18 months wow. to um, to uh, wow. reach Earth. All of the data, yes, collect a lot of data, but it's just so slow. And I think Voyager um, 2 is sending data at a, such a, something like zero point uh, bits per second. Wow. Okay. And yes, it's not sending a lot of data because anyway, there are um, spacecraft that were designed in the 70s, set in the in the late 70s and uh, 80s, and they're in the midst of deep space. Uh, but it's still just a fraction because when you send signals, uh, unless you have the right technology to send a very direct signal like laser, you're just sending a big radio signal and that it spreads okay. and uh, okay. you need to consider the unfortunately is uh, the laws of physics uh, and so your flux uh, as uh, keeping your luminosity standard and as the distance increases your flux decreases and, and that's why we we understand that they're trying to uh, certainly with close orbit satellites trying to communicate using lasers with each other so that they again for this, exactly the same reason that they don't lose the data through the spread of their signal and they can focus their their information so i think it's fascinating the fact that 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 effect and that the advantage of photonics in that way the event you can see that from these satellites that are so far away that they struggle to send the signal back but the fact that it does it all is still mind-blowing to me that it can still do it it's a fascinating thing it, i literally i i know it's a, a bad form to uh put uh try to uh, make uh, humanize uh, these spacecrafts but uh, um, for um, for a few months uh, one of the voyager uh, was not in contact because they were refurbishing the uh, australian uh, radio dish that is being used to communicate and they were doing important refurbishments uh, etc and so they were like if something happens if there is a slight deviation that would and we lose uh, contact with the uh, radio antenna it's gone. We lost it forever. And when, in the midst of their refurbishment, they had to do a little test and activate it, and they just sent a hello. And then, 34 hours later, they got a hello back <laughs> from the Voyager probe that is a hundred... It's such a long way of away. It's... It's a hundred times, I think, over a hundred times further um, um, than Earth is from the sun in deep space and you can send a hello takes 34 hours to get a, a reply and you have it so it's i think it's amazing again the important investing in technology the important in investing in um this mission again consider this was supposed to just look at the four uh, gas giants and then do nothing and instead has been collecting data about the environment beyond the solar system incredible. incredible absolutely incredible i i i find that i mean the fact that technology is so old because obviously it's old anyway physically old but it, it was it was reliable technology that goes into a lot of these devices so it can't be totally cutting edge so it's been going for for decades and without any again no mate you know no one's going out there to maintain it <laughs> that far out um I had another question from somebody. You've kind of answered it already, actually. But someone asked, did you want, do you ever plan or would like to be an astronaut? And so they asked that, and you've already said you've applied. But the other question they asked then after that is, if you're not going to be an astronaut, if it becomes normalized or, or cost-effective, 
um, to go up in those space tourism Will you, will you be doing it in your lifetime? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, I did apply uh, to be an uh, astronaut. I didn't get it, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's all right. I have uh, um, do, uh, the application is about every uh, every 10 years or so. Okay. And so I have, uh, I think I have another chance uh, next time. Hey, excellent. Excellent. Well, I think, and so, and if, and if space tourism becomes more, obviously, yeah, guys, I would absolutely, I would absolutely love to go, um, to go to space. Uh, I think, uh, it's, why wouldn't I want to go? It's where all the stuff that I study are. <laughs> well, just to be a little bit closer. I'll hope, hopefully you get the opportunity to do that. Um, and then another question someone asked us is because you have a very you know, interesting in terms of what you studied and how you ended up in astrophysics um, and a lot of it's maths really I suppose but uh, uh, people are asking here if you wanted to get into space research because everyone knows astrophysics is sort of people kind of ask you about that especially when I go to outreach events people ask parents and, and students ask should my should my child do astrophysics if they want to get into space and I say, you know, it's not just astrophysics, it's, it's everything. So for yourself, what would you, would you advise people who are young people who are listening or, 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 or parents or guardians who are advising them about what maybe to study if you want to get into space research and space science? What are areas that are of interest that can help them do that? I think uh, there is a lot more area than uh, people consider. Uh, space, yes, uh, um, if you are interested in pure astronomy uh, or you you need to go through maths and physics, uh, although not that much maths, uh, unless you're going for more hardcore stuff. Um, but there are paths to space uh, that uh, go through any disciplines. Um, I know people that were just starting to be medical doctors and found interest in uh, physiology uh, in um, in space uh, or develop uh, things that can help astronauts. Or there are um, technologies, engineering, um, from the most advanced material to how to re uh, to reuse. Uh, regular material in space, um, so any kind of material science. Um, you have biology, you have any kind of uh, uh, our science. Like consider that completely uh, out there, but uh, studies that have been done on this type of mold that uh, grow in the Chernobyl uh, nuclear reactor is uh, being studied also in space as a way to protect astronauts uh, on long uh, journey from radiation wow. because this mold grows um, thanks to radiation. So like, could we line the spacecraft uh, uh, well, between the inside and the outside with this mold? Uh, is it getting enough radiation in this space to uh, uh, grow? And so there is literally no, uh, no discipline uh where you might not uh, have an impact in space and both russia uh did and the us will do soon um filming movies in space uh we had so many astronauts that are uh photographer or uh play guitar or the singer <laughs> their space is a place for humans okay. not uh, perfect yet but we're improving um there are 
at the moment is still a, a research space, okay. uh, a little bit like Antarctica. You can visit it as a tourist, uh, but uh, it's uh, not a place for uh, for everyone, unfortunately. Uh, but I do believe that we should push more space to become a place for everyone. Fantastic. And that requires uh, a lot of changes, but uh, if it shows a passion and also as an interest in space i'm sure there is a way for the two to overlap well well that very inspiring message i think we're gonna we're gonna call our fantastic interview to a close but before we do if you want to um highlight some of the work you're doing your your, your podcast or where people can find you and read more about what you're up to and and see more of your activities that'd be great if you'd like to tell our, our listeners Yes, uh, so uh, if you want to so, uh, follow me on uh, socials, they're all at Dr. Carpinetti, C-A-R-P-I-N-E-T-I. -I. Uh, if uh, you're interested in listening to The Astrolic Explains, is at The Astrolic for the socials, and it's on every uh, podcast platform. And I also a chair of uh, Pregnant STEM, which is a charity in uh, the UK uh, to showcase and support uh, the work of LGBTQ plus people in STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths. So that is Pregnant STEM. And yeah, that is me well, in a nutshell. It's been a, fun, a really, really brilliant interview, and I, I've, I've learned loads. And I'm, I hope, I've, and I'm sure our, our listeners are really inspired by the work that you're doing and for all your insight. And I recommend everybody follow what you're doing. A very interesting work. So I really, really uh, like what you do. And thanks so much for spending your time with us today. And I want to thank everyone, Kieran Hurley and the team at UC Radio for allowing us to record here. And thanks everyone in IPIC and our team for supporting us here too. So uh, and SFI for funding all this activity. So thanks so much, everyone, and thanks. Uh, Again, I'm afraid I have a fantastic day. Thank you.